0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for Product Managers, Leaders, and Innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in.
1: Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. Today, we are discussing how to price products, helping you avoid common mistakes, ensuring steps to make your pricing smarter. Our guest is Ajit Gihuman. He is the head of product marketing at Navar, an enterprise-grade customer engagement platform for retailers. Ajit is an expert in software pricing, and his book, Price to Scale, covers an end-to-end approach to packaging and pricing for high-growth technology companies. And as you listen, if you also want to have detailed written notes, we take those for you. It's a great way for you to go back to information or to share the information with others. Also, we include a one-page action guide to make it easier for you to put into action the concepts that we do discuss. You'll find all those resources at the slash 336. Now let's talk to Ajit. Ajit, thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Chad. We're talking about a very important topic that doesn't get a lot of attention among product managers. I think in part because product managers aren't always involved in, in pricing, which is what we're going to talk about. But it's something we should, we should be involved in, I think, and something we should certainly know about. So we're going to dive into that, specifically pricing software products. But I expect some of the discussion might apply to other kinds of products as well. Is that fair? Right. Yes. Okay. We'll see where we go with this. But first, I'm curious, what is it that companies get wrong about pricing their software products? What mistakes do they make?
2: Pricing decisions are thought of as singular pricing decisions. And later today, we'll talk about my favorite quote. But actually, with many things in life, the thing is not the thing. So the price point is never really the problem when you're having trouble in the market. And many times, companies will say, well, a competitor is undercutting us. Price is an issue price isn't really the issue. And a lot of the things that happen upstream of price cause a bad price point to be chosen or a price difficulty. So that's the diff- that's the thing that companies don't realize and which is also why product managers are super critical to be instrumental in making the right pricing strategy decisions because they are the genesis of everything that happens afterwards. So, So what's some examples of those upstream issues that can occur? So it, everything starts from product strategy. First is, why why does the product exist in the market? After you answer that question, uh, then you've come up with the positioning. Is, are you a premium product? Are you a vitamin? Are you a painkiller? Then you go and discuss packaging, and packaging is really a way to maximize the value and return from different segments. And then finally, for the packages and the offers across segments, do you create the price points themselves? So if you miss out the understanding of positioning and do your pricing in a vacuum, and let's say you don't even you know, miss out on proper packaging creation, then it is very likely that most often companies actually start lo- leaving money on the table hmm. because the pricing does not take into account elements of price sensitivity and discrimination that, that can be extracted for the market.
1: Yeah, when customers start telling you that, you that this is such a great value because it's so inexpensive, then maybe you should think about re-approaching re that a little bit. Right. But in terms of positioning, you talked about the vitamin or the painkiller, something that actually solving a problem customers need solved, or maybe adding some value in some way that may be, may be less valuable than overall than the painkiller. Is that what you're talking about there?
2: Yeah, so vitamins and painkillers are certain. are certain mind spaces in a customer's mind. So positioning is all about how a customer perceives your product and is less about the thing itself but how they they heuristically place your product in their mind. Now, depending on if you are positioning yourself to be a premium product like an Apple, you can then extend a lot of pricing power if the customer buys that positioning. However, if they do not, then no matter what the price is, you know, even if you try a higher price, the it will not stick and the customers will suspect that higher price. So in a sense, the groundwork of traditional product management and marketing activities on positioning goes a long way to actually establishing the price. Okay, how much value
1: is actually created and how the customer sees that. So the positioning in their mind, very important. And tell us more about packaging. You're not talking about, you know, the box the software shows up in because we don't do that anymore. What's involved in pricing packaging?
2: So packaging, so I I call this a PPP hierarchy. I say, let's solve positioning first, then solve packaging. And then finally we'll solve pricing. Packaging is one of the most underlooked areas and the most high leverage areas that software companies have. And not like, it's not just my realization. The other day I was listening to Naval Ravikant and it is known that, so let's say, let's take an airline example, right? Let's take first class seats and regular seats. First class seats are two to three to four X the price of regular seats. But in software pricing, your enterprise package could versus like a consumer package could have a hundred X difference. Uh companies, specifically and B2B software companies who are not publishing their prices online can have a huge variation of differences. So take a CRM platform, for example. If financial services company may be paying multi-million dollars for the same piece of software that we could, you know, we could get for $125 a month or something at a small at a small company. It's it's fungible. It's really fungible. And so the point of packaging is to maximize revenue from the market. And the way to maximize revenue for the market is to create an offer that looks tailored to the prospect. When we create an enterprise package and we bundle in things like enterprise security, ability for teams to work together, the features that enterprises care more about, they start to value that software, and in that sense, software is a Weblen good. If it is too expensive for rich people or in you know quote unquote enterprises, they may actually not even value it. So in some cases, higher pricing increases their perception of the value of the product, especially in those type of segments. Mm-hmm. At the same time, similarly, these same companies like take Salesforce, Zendesk, for example, they have more s m b offerings that are much cheaper offer 80% of the functionality in a much lightweight self-service manner. And and they try to maximize the value on the long tail there as well. So packaging is a way to maximize revenue from the market. And it's really where you can use the power of this fungible nature of software to get more value.
1: So part of that to me sounds like uh, what I would call, and it has been called by others, the whole product concept. Right, as we're trying to grow our market, uh, the, the share of the market and the majority of the market, we're looking at the other features that those customers are expecting and needing from us. And so, for different customer segments, like your enterprise customers, they may have more in the way of maybe uh, security, team collaboration, other aspects. Those create a whole product for them. Whereas maybe our small business, if we happen to be selling to them, they have some different needs. Maybe they don't need as big of a solution. And we kind of tailor. I, the, I guess the package could kind of be a menu of right. a, a, almost different pieces we bolt on.
2: Right, right. It can definitely be a menu. And the counterintuitive part of that is, you know, in the words of Gordon Ramsay, less is more. Uh, <laughs> so when they see the right set of things that align to their perception of what the software should be at the enterprise level, that, is, that unlocks the value. But if your menu becomes a big checklist then you can actually start to lose the customer too. So there is a, there is a goldilocks zone of the right set and number of features that when you present to the prospect unlocks, unlocks that value.
1: Very good. So thanks for helping to set the stage a little bit for packaging. I'd like to walk through an example. So everyone listening, yeah. maybe let's just say we're part of a startup organization and we have formulated... Maybe, Ajit, you and I are doing this for them because they're all product managers. However you want to think about this, listeners. But we have formulated a platform for product managers to make your life easier, right? Just like accountants might use Quicken, we now have a platform for product managers to take take some of the tediousness out of your job and help you do a better job with the product and your product teams. So this is going to be a SaaS-based platform. Let's talk through, Ajit, how we go about formulating the pricing for this.
2: So so I'm going to take you through kind of my heuristic of PPP, mm-hmm. right? So first, let's talk about positioning, right? So I know there are, I've actually known of people who run a software roadmap company. So I know already some competitors. Mm-hmm. So for example, aha.io sure. is a product roadmap company. So let's say we are we are more of the enterprise players in the space. right? Let's say we are targeting Fortune 500 companies. We are product management roadmap software for really big companies enterprise teams for complex software, as opposed to uh, more, I guess, global 2000 or companies smaller than that with more lightweight SaaS SaaS offerings with a company which may have fewer PMs. So my statement there is an act of positioning, right? I'm already positioning and targeting the right segment that I want to target. And I'm calling out where I am differentiating. I'm differentiating in terms of capabilities that let a lot of PMs collaborate with each other. So it, it maybe has more elements of Confluence, a product like Confluence or Jira. So it's it's just a hypothetical example that we really should have a good understanding of what our differentiation is. And and be able to define positioning because most products are not uh, lookalike products, right? They're not copies of others. This is why positioning is important. On the con- conversely, we could even have been a consumer product as well, right? We could have said we are a product more for consumer product managers and not B two B. So moving on. So let's let's now having defined that we are more going to play more in the enterprise space, we have to work on packaging. Now I look at packaging in two different ways. There is the standard approach, or it's it's a more widely known approach called good, better, best packaging out in the market. So you'll see a lot of companies publishing their packaging that says, you know, pro-elite platinum. And there is more of the uh, complex area of more, I would say, modular packaging that enterprises use. So in this case, I would tend to go with uh, something that's more value-based, and it would automatically lead, yield a better match with the modular packaging approach. And basically, and I will, you know, I, I, in my book, I will explain this process, but basically we try to make a mutually exclusive, completely exhaustive list of all of the product features of our product. And we try to map it to the use cases that the product solves. And then the packaging, we have to decide, is our market homogeneous or heterogeneous? If the market is homogeneous, then like even a single package may work which has different modules that we can add on top of each other to make sure that we can maximize the value from the market. If the market is heterogeneous, we may need a couple of different type of offers, let's say like pro platinum, and build in these values that are mapped to use cases within them. So I I make the point of mapping to use cases because prospects value products based on the problems that they solve, not necessarily on feature set. So we have to take a bunch of features, group them together, and say, okay, what use case are we solving the problem with? So that's an exercise we would do internally. Then we would vet it with customers to make sure when they are presented with a certain package, they can rate on whether that meets their need, what are the features that or capabilities they rank the most highly, what are capabilities that they rank you know, maybe they're not interested in. That sort of ranking helps us refine our packaging and make sure we are landing the right package. I'm going I'm doing a very abbreviated version, but there are methodologies for all of these things. Mm-hmm. So so we've gone through the first pre-positioning, we've gone through the second pre-packaging. Let's assume the output of this stage has given us two different packages that has a list of modules within that. Now we have to think about pricing. Now when we set up this problem, we decided that this is a SaaS-based product, right? So it's a subscription product. In all of the research that I have done on SaaS-based products, there are only really Two types of pricing approaches. The first decision we have to make here is choose our pricing metric. The second decision we have to make here is choose our pricing structure and then we can choose the price point. So as far as the pricing metric is concerned, we have two options. We can have a capability based pricing or a consumption based pricing model. Now this one fit. So capability will just say, I want to sell this for $20,000 a pop. And it's just capability, or maybe the different modules within are fixed prices, and that's that's all the capability pricing is. It's similar to the perpetual licensing models of old. the 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 one that is more often used is a consumption based pricing model. So consumption based pricing could be per API call, per per usage of SM, per SMS sent out, per EC2 storage, EC2 compute used. And most common, it is per use, per user, uh, per user charge, right? In this case, it's it is very likely that since it's a road mapping tool that's going to be used by a lot of product managers, it fits very neatly in the per user category of of pricing. However, this is this is a place where I would put a bookmark that depending on the product, choosing the right pricing metric can get you 10, 10x 10 difference in the revenue that you obtain back from customers. So I would say it is not always obvious that it is per-user pricing. It, just in this case, it seems like per-user is probably better. Then we choose our pricing structure. There are a couple of options. If you're a smaller company, you may want something like a linear model and say, hey, use, for every PM that gets on the product, you pay us X dollars per month. And as you put more users on it, it's like sort of like a linear scale there are other options that are more like cell phone plan models which is called like a three part tariff and you can say well you can buy a bundle of seats from us and then for the next bundle of seats you know you can for the first 100 is for 100 bucks and the next 300 is for 200 bucks so there's a little bit of an implied volume discount within that mm-hmm. so that's how you choose the pricing structure to either optimize for growth or optimize for revenue predictability so there are a few levers that you can pull and then finally, it's the price point itself. Many ways to do price point analysis, simple willingness to buy surveys. There is the Van Westendorf survey and there's conjoint analysis. For more complex products, conjoint doesn't really work that well because the customer cannot understand it. In this this sort of product, I would probably do something like a Van Westendorf to find out the price point for per, per PM, per product manager, per month, right? And then we'll get a range of options. And then we look at if there are other competitors in that range, if there are any hard costs associated with the product, and we make a call of, okay, based on our positioning and strategy, this is where we think then we should be. So we've made a few critical decisions. We've made a decision on what the packages should be. We've made a decision on what the pricing metrics should be. And we've made a decision on pricing structure should be before we made the decision of the price point. And those three levers are the most important levers that get you more revenue rather than the last point which was the price point itself the actual price (laughs) right yeah 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 yeah
0: i'm interrupting the interview to share something really important we'll get back to the discussion in just a minute but i want you to know about an extraordinary system called the rapid product mastery or rpm experience in just nine weeks you can have a higher performing product team meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of 5 to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high-performing team in just 9 weeks, 75 minutes a week without travel. This is the system created by Chad based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations, and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at the everydayinnovator.com/rpm.
1: Uh, okay, so I may go back to some other parts of this, but I want to ask you about the role of the product manager right. in in your 3P's. Because as you were talking about it, I kind of, I I saw the, in my mind, the emphasis in the order that you position them. We're going to use positioning twice there, but in the order that you went through them, you know, with (laughs) positioning being a place that I would think product managers really need to play because they're they're the ones that are understanding the customer's problem, what we're, we're really solving, what the needs are. Exactly. Packaging, because they can think through the options a little bit in terms of what they have heard from customers and their insights of customers. Right. And then maybe less in actual pricing where this might be another functions.
2: Agreed. Right. Totally agreed. Yeah. So more in positioning, a little bit of a collaborative effort on packaging, mm-hmm. and then pricing, it's mostly can be run by our revenue teams. Okay.
1: An interesting thing I find in, in too many organizations is they're missing an opportunity to use the product manager's insights when it actually comes to the marketing of the product. Mm-hmm. We, we have these great first-person statements of what customers said that they value and what they're, how they characterize their problem. And we don't always get those over into the hands of the people that are crafting the positioning that goes to the market. Right. And, and it seems like if we can do a better job with that, there's advantages there to have. A hundred percent.
2: I would say this is the number one for me This is the number one challenge that modern product management slash product marketing face is having very clear conviction of what the market and the users want. Sometimes the user and the buyers are the same. Sometimes buyers are different. Every time in my career, we've had clear understanding of the buyer and the user. Everything just has gone much better. Pricing, marketing, selling, making sure the sales engine is built well. It all starts from that point. And that's, I really encourage product managers to take on take on that complete business role rather than just be product owners per se, right? There's a new trend of product managers just worrying about the features and shipping features. I feel like I, I, their role is much bigger than that.
1: I think that the other thing that can happen is sometimes a price gets attached to a product and the product managers don't really understand how that happened. Because right. uh, I've heard product managers say things, they, they, they'll simply say, well, we should be charging you a lot more, all the value we create, or we're charging you too much. You know? right? And trying to bridge that gap, it seems like that would be helpful too.
2: Yes, for sure, for sure. I, on my day-to-day, I face different issues. You know, the PMs may say, well, this is more harder for us to implement, so shouldn't we charge more, right? And then we have a discussion on, well, the." effort that it takes for us to implement has little to do with the price. It the value that the customer perceives has everything to do with the price. So so it's it's also everything is about value. I think they know that when they're building the product, but suddenly when you start to think of price, it's almost like you forget those basics in the pricing context. So, so it is, it, I would say it is a habit, a process that could be built. And once that process is built, it's very easy to have that discussion in any release cycle and people know which lens to look at it from. But yes, if they've not been involved in it and they're coming in blind, it's, it's, it, this, these are the comments that at least on our side, marketing side will tend to hear.
1: Yeah, speaking of the marketing side of that, who do you find is actually crafting that pricing strategy, your, your third P? So once we have the other information in place, who's who's taking on, on that responsibility?
2: I mean, I would assume that it is someone in marketing, either product marketing. I've seen a lot of CMOs work on it directly as well, just because it's such a strategically important activity. In organizations where maybe the skill set isn't available, I've seen People hire a consulting firm, though I, I don't necessarily advocate for that. I've also seen sales operations folks do it. But generally, a CMO slash product marketing is the most likely candidate.
1: Yeah, that seems very consistent with my experience, too. And I, I know larger enterprises that are selling to enterprises might have a sales op function that, that they're, they're doing that custom package pricey, right? So it's based on what package that, what they need. Right. Okay. Speaking of sales. So back to what can product managers do? to help sales present this pricing information. This, I think, may be outside the purview of of a lot of product managers at times, but I I found being involved in this to be really helpful. And and sometimes, actually, it has been my responsibility as a product manager to help prepare materials for
2: sales, just to be able to
1: position the product properly, including the pricing. How can we help?
2: Two things come, come into play here, and more so with subscription products. Customers want to know, how their usage, as their usage grows, what is the impact on pricing, and can customers predict it? Because all customers want to be able to predict their increase in budget as their usage increases and as their company grows. I'll give you an example of mix panel. I it's this is a case study I've included in my book. This is also public publicly available information. So they were pricing their product based on events and their customers started to say well we have so many events you are charging us a lot of money but uh, we are not sure we are seeing roi from this so they changed their pricing metric then to monthly tracked users and by making that change they were able to better then the customers were better able to say okay you're just just proportional to the number of users on my site so it was just simple to price after that point and to then budget for you know the how much resources they would need And on the product management side, I think the communication other teams can do, but what is, I've heard this from six or seven pricing leaders now, is the instrumentation is sometimes missing in subscription products. So many times we may start from a non-subscription side, or we may even have subscription pricing, let's say, based on per user, and we want to change it to a usage-based price on some other metric. The, The instrumentation of that being measured in the product, reported, and then being able to be fed back to a finance team such that we can bill on it and report on it is many times non-existent. And I've, there are so many folks that I've heard this from that that's the number one thing that they struggle getting prioritized with the product team, because only the product team can solve that problem. Hmm. Uh, and once we have that instrumentation, it just becomes a lot easier to be able to a change the pricing metric, b make sure it's aligned with how the customer sees their world.
1: So an option there for for our SaaS solution, in our case for Fortune 500 enterprises, we may come in and have a relatively heavy implementation activity because we're tying into other systems that they have in place now. Maybe they have a portfolio management system and we support that and et cetera, et cetera. So one option we could talk about there, we could have pricing per user, we could have pricing per number of projects, we could have an implementation bundle up front and then pricing per user. Right, and look at the ones we thought made the most sense for through the customer's eyes that made sense for us too.
2: When we are trying to communicate from a point of view of how the customer sees mm-hmm. the value, sometimes when we first build our products, we have not really figured it out. Right. And we have to go back and then instrument that. So let's say they don't think about it from a PM perspective, right? Maybe they think of it from a project perspective. And if we are not really... If it's not housed in a database and if it's not real time and it's not a report they can generate to see their usage, then they're they're kind of in this fog foggy area, right? They don't know how to predict their their expenses. So that's that's the only thing is figuring out what customers how they look at the the usage and then trying to build that into something that they can easily see at any time what they're you know, how how much they've used of the service.
1: Okay. We have to think through the different options, and I appreciate you saying we, we may be k- kind of groping through the dark a little bit in the beginning just because we haven't, haven't had to think about this yet, right? Right, right. If we run into a customer that, that might push back and say, no, no, your your, your per-user charge is way too high, we're used to paying a fee up front to have things implemented and you know, drop the per-user price, that might be the first time we deal with that. True, true. I do like the the guidance that we need to think about this through, just like product managers do, through the eyes of the customer and what makes sense for their organization and how we can make that price work for us and them and hopefully maximize value for all of us. Right. Let's talk for just a moment about competitors. Say this isn't brand new to us. We got pricing out in the marketplace and competitors are starting to take some action to compete against our positioning. And that might include also the how they communicate value, including the price that they're charging. What comes up? What can we do then?
2: A very common occurrence in SaaS companies is the sales team may come and say, well, this com- competitor is too cheap. The price is very competitive. We need to drop our prices. That's the that's the last thing you should do okay. in, in most instances. Okay. The, the act of lowering prices just because a competitor is cheaper makes the signal that you cannot... One, you don't have confidence in what your existing capability is, and two, you don't think that you can actually differentiate and build something that will be more valuable to your users. So I have, we've often had like I run the pricing channel on uh, Revenue Collective, and I've gotten these questions sometimes. It was not just me; it's not just me who's saying this. Unanimously, everybody else says the same thing: don't touch your price first. First, trying to understand what is it that they are offering, how are you different and what is it that customers are even valuing sometimes there may be a new player that comes in they slash prices a lot customers are not immediately going to go to them if they have an unsustainable business model mm-hmm. customers really like especially if as you go up in b2b settings customers want a partner they don't want a fly by night competitor and you know to risk their business so it's 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 a very often encountered scenario and it's with some experience. It's often, you know, it's a, it's a time to discuss differentiation, is what I'll say. That's when you discuss differentiation and say, well, are we? Do we feel we are differentiated? Do we feel our roadmap is strong enough?
1: Yep. In that, what I think you might also be saying, at least what I've seen used, is we try to create differentiation where we can to add value to the customer too. Right. And so I've seen in the in the packaging. To say, well, you know, instead of immediately trying to just meet the price, organizations will say, well, you also have this other need over here, and we can add that to to this deal, you know, for the the price we're talking 100%, about. Hundred percent,
2: hundred percent, hundred percent. I'll actually add a story here. Uh, from it's a few years old. We uh, had a customer experience product at Medallia. This company is now IPO'd. And we were running against newer, smaller competitors who were mimicking our positioning in the market. So similar scenario, they would kind of say, we have the same features for lesser price. And we realized that we haven't exposed our differentiators enough, that we have not even articulated them properly. We were able to map out really large, complex organizations like Hilton or Hyatt and have 55,000 users on the system, which was unheard of from any other CX platform. So we term keyed a new phrase called sync and sync then we said sync is the capability that maps your entire organization to our database takes care of firings takes care of turn transition everything all in one go it's always real time and when we started to use that in our sales pitches and talked about the so what of our org sync, suddenly the com- competition didn't have anything to say. So we worded a very technical capability, gave it a nice name, and we started talking about why it was it, it was important. And suddenly that was that changed the narrative.
1: Right. Absolutely. Because the cu- customers can't respond to the question, "Well, you don't have have this special feature, right? That this th- capability, right. you know, or sync." So. Right. Very good. Okay. As listeners know, we love a good innovation quote, however you want to frame that as an innovation quote or success quote. What do you have for us and tell us what it means to you?
2: Right. Thanks, Chad. So this is uh, something I've been mulling over for the past month, but it's definitely something that's been in my mind even before I heard it. So I, I listened to this coach. He's like this leadership coach for Olympic athletes big Silicon Valley execs, his name is Kapil Gupta, and he says this thing very often. The thing is never about the thing. So the thing in sports, uh, a job, Silicon Valley, whatever, medicine, it's never about the thing that you're trying to solve. It's always about the mind. So that's his quote. And I feel like that's just so relevant. And it's I mean, I kind of generalize it to even in this pricing exercise, right? The price is not really always the problem. Most of the time, it's your strategy and your intention and your conviction behind what you're doing that that creates downstream issues. And that's, I feel like that's true for so many other things in life.
1: Yeah, you have to identify what the actual actual issue is, and not just try to deal with the symptom. Right. So, and back to the sales example you gave at the end, there, you know, it's easy in a knee knee jerk reaction to say, okay, we'll match price. We, we have to get this deal. Right. But instead, look at where the real value is. Find out what the thing is. So, thank you for that for listeners that want to find out more about you. And of course, this book you have that talks all about pricing that goes into much more detail. So there's a few things we, we skipped over a little skipped over a little bit. Like if, if we were to use willingness surveys, the Van Western Off conjoint, you know, things that you will go into more detail in the book. Tell us how to find out about the work you do and your book.
2: Right. So I actually, luckily, this was in time. I published it two days ago. It's on Amazon. Search for price to scale. Just just add book because otherwise it'll just throw up scales and okay. weighing scales. <laughs> so it's price to scale. Just search price to scale book and you'll find it. I interviewed nine of Silicon Valley's top pricing leaders and added, it, my, added my own expertise on the The techniques that I've used. And I've tried to make it very practical with a lot of examples. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Ajit Kuman. I work at Narwar. So happy happy to have any conversation.
1: Great. Ajit, thank you so much for the information, your expertise that you shared with us. And look forward to finding out more about the details by getting my hands on your book.
2: Thank you so much, Ed. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for listening. This is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products that customers love. You'll find all the written notes of the discussion with Ajit at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 336. Keep
0: innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.